0: We'll
1: Edition. This is Discussions of Truth. I am your host, Ian Hamilton Trottier, and each week I strive to bring you an incredible discussion of tainted honesty, deception, truth, and those in our society. In our government. In our corporate world. That are standing up against it. Where did it all start with me? Being exposed to a neurotoxin. Get more information on the website iantrottier.com. That is my namesake. And that explains it. That explains how this all started. In moments... We bring to program a man in South Florida that is running to shake up the political scene here in this state because he sees the corruption. He sees the wrongdoings, and he, as I encourage every one of you, is standing up to do something about it. That's why I intro with Seek and Destroy. Seek out the corruption. Destroy it. And only you can. Only you can do it. November 14th. This program will host Dr. Judy Mikovitz. She's a vaccine and medical industry activist... Her research is in depth. She's an antivirus viral researcher. Some of the research she's done has saved millions of people's lives afflicted with HIV-AIDS. She was arrested in her home in Ventura, California, December twenty second, 2011. Charges were later dismissed by the district attorney's office in Reno, Nevada. But her employer, Whitmore Peterson Institute of Reno, pressed charges against her as she was attempting to retain her own research, her own records, to clear the air on what she had found. In her own studies. She's not a lightweight. She's co-authored more than 50 peer-reviewed publications. Peer-reviewed publications and book chapters. And I urge you all to look at her recent, or one of her recent works. And that is a co-authorship with Kent Heckel-Lively. Plague is the name of the book. One Scientist's Intrepid Search for the Truth About Human Retroviruses and Chronic Fatigue Syndrome, Autism and Other Diseases. Judy joins program November 14th. November 7th, author and Temple University professor Joan Mellon, who's written over 20 books herself, Blood in the Water, You probably have possibly never heard of this. But how the United States and Israel conspired to ambush the USS Liberty. (laughs) Whoa. Yeah, those aren't light words. These aren't light subjects. They're not light topics. And in fact, the state of your global political scene, not just in the United States, but the United States seems to be the last kind of hope and beacon, and that is why I broadcast from the United States, and I urge you from wherever you're listening to around the world, to stand up for truth and justice and liberty and freedom, and you've got to fight for it. Ole Demigard joins the program October 17th, and next week, we'll host Carl Denninger, At the 5.15 mark this day, today, this afternoon, Eastern Standard Time. Discussions of Truth will be hosting Michael DeCourt. He's a former project manager of Lockheed Martin. Big stuff. I'll be right back. With Bruce Stanley. Enjoy a little. Let me mention. Sorry, before I go. Follow me on Twitter. Follow me on Instagram. Ian Trachier, I A N T R O T T I E R. Thanks for your support. Thanks for listening. I'll be right back with Bruce Stanley. <laughs> mm and destroy and that is exactly what our current guest bruce stanley is attempting to do to the political scene in florida bruce how the heck are you
2: very well very well thanks again thanks for having me on your show
1: it is it is a pleasure for listeners would you please introduce yourself and then segue into what you're doing to the what you're attempting to do and in, in, in the political scene here in florida who, who are you apart from being bruce stanley
2: absolutely thank you so uh, my name is bruce stanley i'm a 16-year uh, resident of the state of florida um i i love the state of florida and uh over the years my introduction to the uh political arena has been through my work as an activist and an, organi- and, an organizer and all of that uh culminated uh this past december when i decided to uh run for governor as an independent so i'm ballot qualified and i will be on the ballot in November. I think it's important for the independent voters to also have uh, representation as well.
1: Bruce, uh, outstanding. This is all great news. What drives you in your race? How would you like to see change come to Florida?
2: Sure. Well, I fundamentally believe in competitive elections, but the majority of our elections are not competitive because they are dominated by two well-funded, corporate-backed parties that are beholden to special interests no matter what the election outcome is. And the consequence has been that the election has already been reduced to highly charged partisan talking points, which is crowding out the ability to have a discussion about real solutions. Um, So if you look around the state of Florida, uh, we've reached a point where we are experiencing the consequences of poor long-term planning decisions while continuing to make poor long-term planning decisions. So we've got to rethink our approach to growth management and diversify our economy beyond tourism. I believe we can reprioritize the budget without having to raise taxes across the board. We can we can make strategic investments that will... Ah, uh, pay for themselves. And what I emphasize in my platform is what I refer to as my five point plan and a green new deal for Florida.
1: And what is that five point plan?
2: yeah, so let's 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 run through that. So number one, improving civic engagement. So Florida is now the third most populous and yet one of the least civically engaged uh, states in the entire country. And this has had enormous consequences. So we need to um, see higher degrees of rates of voter turnout. Um, and we need to become full participating members in the legislative process. Uh, number two, I support the chartering of a Florida state bank, a state infrastructure bank similar to what is already set up in North Dakota and now what they are exploring Excellent, in Bruce. New Jersey. I think this is a way that we can answer a lot of uh, these questions about, you know, who's going to pay for it and 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 so on. Uh, number three, a Green New Deal for Florida. So. What this consists of is you know, primarily jobs and training programs that's going to allow us to invest in transportation alternatives and uh, build the infrastructure that's going to allow us to get off of fossil fuels. We really need to start rethinking our approach to uh, auto-centric, sprawl-centric development. We need to rebuild our cities around the the best principles of of new urbanism and uh, again diversify uh, transportation alternatives. You've probably noticed that it's almost impossible to move around uh, South Florida any time of day uh, because of the uh, 24-7 gridlock traffic. And that is the result of decades and decades of uh, disinvestments in transportation infrastructure. Uh, Number four, this is a big one for me, uh, legalization and regulation of cannabis and hemp industry products. I think Florida has the opportunity to become a major hemp production state if only we set aside lands for that purposes and allow um, you know private industry to flourish on top of that. And I think Colorado is, is pointing the way in terms of how a state can generate all kinds of new uh, revenue and also save money, uh, locking up and incarcerating uh, huge numbers of uh, nonviolent uh, offenders. So I think there, I think that I, th- that's an idea there whose time has come. And finally, number five, uh, transition to a hundred percent renewable energy by 20, 2035, not forget 2050.
1: Bruce, that's excellent. You're taking on the, uh, the, 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 the fossil fuel, petrol, petrol dollar. Uh, I commend you for that. Uh, and, uh, venture forth, uh, with that. Uh, Bruce, tell us, tell listeners a little bit about uh, some of the people you have right now in, in Florida that are supporting you. Who, who's getting behind you right now?
2: Sure. Well, uh, pr- primarily I'm trying, I'm, I'm seeing that uh, these, I feel that the two candidates that have emerged from the primary process are simply too extreme to represent the majority of Floridians. So that's why I've uh, emphasized in, uh, a platform solely focused on the issues facing uh, the state. And so far, I've found that that is attracting uh, support uh, across the board. And so I think uh, a nonpartisan agenda is in the best interest of the majority of Floridians.
1: Bruce, um, what, is the, what, what is one main element of corruption in this state as, as, as listeners uh, I listeners from all over the world listening to this? Uh, as, as Florida is a swing state in, in American politics. It's, uh, of course, the famous hanging chag state of the, uh, the Gore-Bush um, runoff. Uh, what, is, what is one main element of corruption that you're, you're really uh, going after to try to take down uh, those two mega parties that, that you speak of?
2: Right. Well, first of all, I'm running a grassroots campaign. I'm not taking any corporate super PAC, special interest, or uh, fossil fuel money because when we look at uh, when we look at the present administration and we look at uh, primarily, let's talk about environmental issues. I mean, we know we're aware of the the algae crisis, the cyanobacteria crisis that is plaguing Florida's waterways. There's been a number of Uh, environmental issues of construction of a sable trail pipeline, for example, that when you trace it back, you can see the conflicts of interest extend all the way to, uh, in some cases, the governor's mansion, in some cases, uh, the Florida legislature. And so uh, one of the issues that uh, activated me over the past uh, three years was when I was traveling to the state capitol to support a statewide ban on fracking. Um, Well, I'm, I'm Three years later, we still don't have a statewide ban on fracking, and you would think that this is protecting our cl- safe, clean, and drink wa- drinking water supply would be a uh, top priority for these legislators, you know, these legislators, but um, the, the consequence is that there's not enough accountability because there's not enough, uh, citizens aren't engaged enough to really hold these legislators accountable, so a lot of what goes on. Uh, takes place um, in 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 the shadows, and um, and and that's where a lot of these conflicts uh, of interest arise.
1: Bruce, in, in closing, uh, before 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 I request that you give your last uh, words, uh, expand a little bit on what those shadows look like to you. What what are those shadows?
2: Well, th- that's I mean that that tough that's question. Question. I I would say that. It it, what it boils down to is uh, special interests, money and uh, a special interest uh, dominating the agenda uh, in 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 Tallahassee, which, uh, you know, manifests itself um, in in public policy uh, throughout the state. So uh, I I would say that, um, you know, as far as when you when you look at the at the campaign, uh, finance, um, when you look at the, the executive agencies, there's, there's a lack of, uh, accountability from the fact that there's a lack of strong, uh, independent executive leadership. So a lot of these, um, executive agencies are able to make, um, decisions. For, for example, uh, a couple of, uh, cities, um, here in South Florida recently, um, you know, decided to, uh, stop recycling just cancel you know just sort of cancel those programs outside of the the the, the statewide goals to achieve I think 70 75 percent uh, recycling by 2020, 2025 um, so uh, we're, we're missing these these targets because um, again, private special interests. We're, we see, for example, um, preemption laws will will get passed where you have the Grocery Manufacturers Association, for example, or a number of um, powerful uh, lobbying interests um, have, have, have influenced directly in Tallahassee.
1: Bruce, uh, once you get into office, set your ceiling a little higher. I like exactly what you're doing. Some closing comments on your part, Bruce, for listeners. What, what would you like them to go away with?
2: Great. So, we have an opportunity uh, to turn Florida independent. That's what's important. That's what's at, at stake here. And so uh, in closing, I would just simply, you know, I would like to ask uh, our listeners uh, to remember to get registered to vote by October 9th uh, election day is November 6th. And I wrote a comprehensive platform based on my years of working on the issues statewide Um, As I said, I'm not taking any corporate PAC or special interest money, so read all about it on my website, just my name, brucestanley.com, and I look forward to your support in November.
1: Excellent. Ladies and gentlemen, Bruce Stanley. Bruce, have a great day. Thanks for joining the program. Thanks, Ian. Discussions of truth. You heard it right there from a passionate American, a passionate citizen world, global citizen, you heard him say it perfectly, Florida, you have a chance to become independent. Whether it's Cynthia McKinney, Ray McGovern, whoever you've listened to or whoever's been on this show, most people say you've got to look past, and I'm doing this exactly, last week Sam Faddis said the same thing, you've got to look past the political divide. That is only dividing, it's not uniting. Yes, there are qualities on both sides of the idol. I but, look, they're both totally bought out by big money, which feeds into an international banking system and is completely corrupt. Why is it corrupt? Because it's corrupted your constitution. And it's your constitution, your U.S. constitution, that makes you different if you're an American. I'll be right back with Michael Decourt. them all that's the name of the album i don't know if it, you want to be that uh, ex- extravagant but uh kill all those who, who who try to muddy your waters i can i can tell you that much we have online with us another exemplary american who came out against an, 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 an ill ill-fated project that he was working on on lockheed martin And my understanding is he's unable to talk about that but we've got a whole lot more to talk about let me just say this that James Comey was instrumental in mudding that water in the project that he was working with regarding the Coast Guard to help you strengthen your borders. But Michael Decourt, thank you for joining Winwood Radio. You are on Discussions to Truth for listeners. Would you would you please give an intro uh, to yourself?
3: Uh, yeah, how you doing? Uh, glad to be on. Uh... Well, I uh, was in U.S. Navy for six years, uh, electronics technician, and then I went, uh, when I got out, was in a private sector for about a year, but then I went to the U.S. State Department as a communications engineer, and then I went to become the uh, communications engineer for the counterterrorism group there. I left, and then I um, eventually went to Lockheed Martin, was a system engineer working in aerospace simulation, uh, and worked my way up to project manager. Then I worked on a program called... Uh, the Aegis Weapon System, which is on TV, and The Last Ship is one of those. And then I went to the Deepwater, uh, which, um, I mean, there is public information that, that I can discuss. And if there's an area I can't go into, I'll, I'll just let you know. Okay. Um, uh, but I was the lead system engineer on the very first part of Deepwater. Deepwater was a program to upgrade the Coast Guard after 9-11. Uh, and then uh, after uh, issues there, I went to Colorado and I actually became the the, uh, the software manager for all of NORAD. Uh, uh, after 9-11. NORAD is where we track uh, all the objects in space, all the aircraft in the air and uh, missile launches. And then uh, Lockheed let me go because of the whistleblowing with deep water. And then I uh, went out into what I call commercial IT for the past, I don't know, 11 years or so. And now I'm involved in, uh, well, in autonomous vehicle issues because uh, the way that most autonomous vehicle makers are going about making their products, they'll never actually finish, and they're and they're causing uh, harm to people for absolutely no reason. I guess we can go into that. And I also have a background in cybersecurity, and I can tell you that um, our cybersecurity posture in this country is wretched. And it, it's basically occurring because, and this includes government agencies to some degree, um, there are best practices that we don't follow on purpose. It's not to get hacked or anything like that, but it's because to put these things in place would, would drive change in organizations, and people don't like cultural backlash. So we are just ridiculously exposed.
1: Michael, uh, tell listeners w- one thing that they should know about. You uploaded a video. Uh, just visit this for, momentarily. You uploaded a video in 2006 to YouTube, which blew the whistle on this deep Deepwater uh, Systems program. Um, for listeners who have no clue what this was or what was happening, can you can you can you can you deliver a quick summary of what they need to know?
3: Yes, uh, actually, prior to nine eleven, the Coast Guard was due to be upgraded that's because we were the second oldest Coast Guard in the world, and at the time it was part of the Department of Transportation, and it really wasn't getting attention. But then nine eleven occurred, and th- they decided to bump that program up and to make it larger, obviously, and that's when the Coast Guard became the department part of the Department of Homeland Security, which obviously was a new agency that was created because of 9-11. And uh, that would program was to upgrade or replace pretty much everything the Coast Guard has from ships and boats to aircraft and shore stations. And uh, it went out on com- competitive bid. And it was a new kind of approach because the Coast Guard couldn't ramp up fast enough. They did something called a lead system integrator, which was they gave the industry the chance to actually police themselves because the Coast Guard uh, needed help, uh, especially relative to finding enough people. So Lockheed and Northrop Grumman uh, created. It. They created a Delaware company called Integrated Coast Guard Systems, and they won the uh, bid and the program. At the beginning, it was 17 billion dollars. It's grown to 30 some billion dollars now. And um, my my part of it was I was the lead system engineer on the very first delivery, uh, which was for these 123 foot boats that were originally. 110, 110 feet, they were lengthening them, they were placing all the systems. And because of the system of systems design approach, they were using everything that we designed and implemented on this project would be used for everything else, unless there was a good reason not to, uh, for the next 30 years. Every ship, every every aircraft, if it made sense. So things were going wrong and they weren't right. There were issues relative to safety and security of the boats around communications. Um, the, the, the radios for the small boats uh, weren't waterproof. The camera systems had... The uh, camera surveillance system had big holes leading up to the bridge, so they couldn't surveil correctly. None of, most of the equipment we installed on the outside of the boat wouldn't survive bad weather, and the classified communication system uh, would leak classified information. And because the, the internet, the CIPRANET, which is the government's internet, would be going through those ships, everybody communicating in secret on that internet net at the time would be compromised.
1: This is, these are some basic issues. I don't think the Coast Guard even has a land uh, division, but uh, equipping boats that are not uh, fit for water, that, that just sounds as, asinine to me. Uh, why would you think that this contractor was trying to do that? Does that there, what, what was the sense that you made of that? Obviously, yeah. you didn't make sense, but where could that justify itself?
3: Yeah so, uh, yeah, so it was an internal political issue in Lockheed, and they, they have the talent to do this right. They just, because of internal, one group wanted to take over from another group, and they ran over their heads, and they didn't know it. And I actually warned them about it when they were doing the proposal, and they, they, they sent me away off the proposal and then brought me back a year and a half later to try to help them. Um, but uh, the, the boats that, that, that had non-waterproof radios were actually Zodiac boats. they basically the dive boats, the, the pontoon boats. There were going to be about 100 of them that were put onto other boats. And uh, it was on that that we were putting a radio that was not uh, waterproof. So it was uh, not, uh, I mean, well, obviously it looks like incompetence. Uh, it, 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 kind of, it was, but um, it was because of internal political decisions, not because Lockheed didn't have the talent somewhere.
1: But there, it, this wasn't a simple oversight. You think this was the decision made uh, on purpose?
3: No, uh, no, no, no. This was people who were in over their heads, who were in a rush because, they needed to get stuff done. They made bad decisions. And then when they were told they were bad decisions, they were in over their. you know, they didn't want to cut, co- they didn't want to run uh-huh. up to it. Yeah. So you just keep digging a hole deeper.
1: Now tell, tell listeners a little bit about, about your interaction with Mr. James Comey.
3: Yeah. So I tried to resolve this by going up all the chains of command. Right. So I went up, uh, DOD and aerospace is structured different than normal commercial it because they, they their program management actually runs the programs. Unlike, uh, in, in a lot of places in it. So, I went up the program management chain of command, I went up the engineering chain of command, I went up the quality chain of command, ethics, had three ethics investigations, got through all of those, and, um, you know, they, they kept saying I wasn't right about it, everything, and, and, but they wouldn't show me why, or prove it to me, so I kept going up, so I get to the board of directors, and I write the board of directors, and I get a letter back, hand-signed, and at the time, James Comey was the general counsel for Lockheed Martin, so he uh, sent me a letter saying that the Coast Guard was aware of everything and fine with it, which turned out to not be true at all, because when I came forward and there was 60 minutes in the congressional hearings and all that, the Coast Guard rejected the votes and rejected all the, rejected the systems that I had uh, complained about.
1: So so mission accomplished on, on your behalf, but you had to peel back multiple layers of people telling you that you were incorrect.
3: Yeah, it took a year and a half, three ethics investigations, um, and, uh, yeah, the last, last, the last hoop was, uh, Mr. Comey and, and, uh, he, yeah, he did not do the right thing.
1: And had you, had you published your, your video prior to speaking with, uh, James Comey?
3: Yeah. So I, when I, yeah, what happened is, uh, did I, no, uh, no, I had the, I think I had the letter from him by then. So, um, they brought me out to Bethesda, uh, corporate and, uh, you know, they said everything's fine. And they waved a piece of paper, you know, and said the Coast Guard's good with everything. And I said, show me the paper. And they said no. So I said, well, OK, so I'm going to go to the Inspector General of Homeland Security, which I did. And then uh, after them investigating for a couple months, they told me that they were being stonewalled by the commandant of the Coast Guard, which hmm. is not what should happen, because those are the people I'm trying to help. And it turns out one of the former commandants of the Coast Guard was on Lockheed Martin's board of directors at the time. So, um, and also, I, I went to the New York Times, I believe it was, or the Washington Post and the and, and the AP, and they told me that, you know, things go bad in defense all the time, but what I was describing sounded ridiculous. So now I'm stuck because the IG can't get information because their own group they're trying to help is, is stonewalling them, and the press won't print. So I heard of YouTube at the time, so I thought, well, if, maybe if I, because I'm a Lockheed Martin engineer, you know, and it, and it involves security after 9-11, Maybe if I do something like this, it'll get attention. And then if, they, if, if the news picks it up, they'll talk about my issues. And that's exactly what happened. And the Washington Post, I believe, had had it after the Navy Times, and then 60 Minutes contacted me in congressional hearings, and then we, we went from there.
1: And you had had a you had a, a long you had a number of years that you'd worked with Lockheed Martin prior to prior to this. Was was there any ever any time where you uh, had seen something funky going on? Lucky, yeah.
3: So, uh, uh, well, nothing remotely close to something I would whistleblow about. As a matter of fact, when I worked in aircraft simulation, I thought it was fantastic. I thought the engineering and the and and what we were doing on the Aegis weapon system, I never saw a thing that was remotely close to anything I would complain about. Um, issue when I left the organization with simulation, but that was that was not, I mean, probably something that occurs all the time, differences of opinion. Um, but this thing with Deepwater was huge, right? Because it, it yeah. involved safety and security. And uh, but eventually, you know, uh, the IG said I was correct, and you know, the, the contract was ended, and Lockheed and Northrop Grumman, and ICGS were out, taken out, out of in control, and, and the engineering issues I brought up were fixed. I followed a class, at, I mean, a false claims act or key tam lawsuit, which I settled on a small part of it, and the other part was was actually dismissed, and I lost appeal, and the other side convinced the judge that I should never have brought it because I didn't have standing. So they wanted to get back from me the money they spent on legal fees for the appeal, so the judge agreed, and to avoid them taking that money, I declared bankruptcy.
1: So is, in your opinion, James Comey a man of integrity?
3: Um, n- well, uh, it's selective. So first, let me say, I'm not a fan of either political party. I think George Washington had it right when he said we should never even start them. Anytime you get three people together, you ha- all you have is now people who are worried more about the group than they are. The Excellent. thing that they should be worried about. So... Um, my problem with him is, is that, uh, he pontificates. And if you're going to pontificate, then put it out there and his book. Mm -hmm. And when he goes around speaking, he skips over this time in his life. Now I'm sure he would say, well, I was acting on the best of interest of Lockheed and I can't discuss it because it's client attorney privilege. But the fact of the matter is I was correct. Lockheed would probably not have been kicked off that contract and all that would have never happened had they, had they listened to me and just said, you know, Hey, we, we messed up and, and, and fixed it and moved on.
1: It might be similar to uh, uh, Dick Cheney being a member of the uh, Council on Foreign Affairs, uh, Michael. So let's let's get into um, let's get into a little bit of this uh, uh, Elon Musk, yeah, the Pied Piper. You you you've got a, a few articles out that you've put into to to, to LinkedIn and the autonomous. What do you what are you into right now?
3: Yep. Yeah, so. Uh, <laughs> So first, let me say I was I used to be extremely impressed with Mr. Musk because he's a verb uh, with a capital V. He gets things done, and I thought the things he was trying to do were obviously important. But then, you know, I think his ego got a, the best of him, and now it's just kind of snowballed, and we're watching somebody kind of self-destruct in front of our eyes, which is ridic- incredibly uh, unfortunate. I mean, he's going from famous to infamous. The issue is this: um, is that The method that the vast majority, and as a matter of fact, I think every single one of the autonomous vehicle makers is using, except one that I'm aware of. Mm -hmm. The method they're using will literally, no hype, right, because there's all this hype in the industry. It will literally never lead to anything remotely close to an autonomous vehicle. And it's taking lives for absolutely no reason. Um, There's a far, far better way to do it. But these folks don't know that because they come from the automotive world and IT, and they, they just don't know. So the issue is this. They use something called public shadow driving or safety driving, which I don't call it that because it's not safe. But they use a the process by which they e- they drive and they either show the AI, the, the artificial intelligence or neural networks what to do, and mm-hmm. then they test it. Or they use something, uh, other processes. But either way, they test it at some point. And when they test, they let go of the steering wheel. So that means that the driver sees control. And so you are using the public domain in order to to develop these autonomous vehicles. Well, it can never, ever work for for several reasons. There are major viability, safety, and liability issues. The the viability is this, is uh, you can't drive and re-drive or stumble and re-stumble in enough scenarios, enough times over to train the AI, because it takes hundreds of thousands of times each. And AI does not infer well, so you pretty much have to show it everything. Uh, Rand did a study and said it was 500 billion miles. Uh, uh, Toyota said it was a trillion. If you take, if you allow for the trillion and take the amount of vehicles you would need to do that over 10 years, cheap cars, sensors, drivers, and fuel, not even counting the engineering cost of the company, it's it's 300 billion dollars. So now you don't have the time to do it. You'll never get through it, and you can't spend the money. Then on the safety side, there's two massive issues. One of them is uh, right now they're driving benign or easy scenarios and hyping them. Right, some articles came out a couple weeks ago saying that Waymo. is 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 hyping because they can they can't even they can't do a lot of left-hand turns they can't handle intersections and they can't merge um but what's happening is is they're showing the vehicle and testing simple scenarios at some point literally they have to get to complex and dangerous scenarios and they have to run thousands of accident scenarios thousands of times each in order to train and test the ai and when the public and and the press and the government figure that out they're never going to allow it and the other part of it is when they let go of the steering wheel um, it requ- it's called handover. Uh, when the driver is, is told to take over, no matter what system you use to monitor the driver or to uh, alert them, there's a period of time that you cannot provide them enough time in order to regain the proper level of situation awareness needed to do the right thing the right way. So, so it's between 6 and 45 seconds, depending on the scenario. So, you ha- so it's just impossible. It's just never going to happen. Uh, but they're stuck. So what should they do? They should use simulation 99% of the time. And the reason why they're not doing that is because the simulation that's available to them in their industry, which is based on gaming, is not adequate. It's got problems. Now, what they need to do is use aerospace and defense technology, uh, which which can do everything they need to do. What people think about that is, when I mention it, is they think, first thing they think is, well, air travel's not complex, so it can't handle the complexity. Well, it's true, air travel's not complex. But what is complex is DOD War Games Uh, When they take hundreds of entities, uh, simulators, simulations that that are running aircraft and vehicles and putting them in urban environment, that's directly analogous to what needs to be done for autonomous vehicles. So they just need to flip their paradigm. uh, And you're starting to see people uh, admit it. Um, They're using like um, uh, metrics like how many miles they drove or or disengagements, which is nonsense, because without knowing the scenarios that were involved, you have no context. All that matters is what scenarios do you have to drive to prove that you're several times better than a human and then have you have you proven that you can do that.
1: So there's there's a city in Florida that is testing these autonomous uh, self-driving school buses for kids. What's the risk there?
3: Yeah. So um, first, it it relies on a, a shadow driver or a safety driver. Right. So. Uh, now, I know the argument is going to be, and, I, and I'm actually sympathetic to some of it, they're only driving eight miles an hour. It's in a massively geofenced area that has very, very little complexity. Okay, fine. But number one, they are they said they're going to get up to 30 miles an hour at some point. And number two, handover cannot be done safely in, in, in accident scenarios, especially lateral ones, right, where somebody turns the wheel to one side or the other. And the whole safety driving thing is a farce because drivers have been shown that even the professional ones, that they can't they, they can't pay attention. Ford's drivers fell asleep. The paid drivers fell asleep. So it's, it's and why do we need to have kids there? The only reason they're doing this is because of hype, because they want, they want to say that, look, we have a school bus. So because everybody's trying to outdo each other, my problem, largest problem, is the precedent you're setting. Somebody now is going to go do the exact same thing, and then somebody's going to up it, and we're going to keep going around and around. What should happen here is you should we should invoke what the FAA does. The FAA has massively... Detail criteria for not only their aircraft but levels of simulation and the fidelity of them. Prove the simulation is is what is needed. Then show everything in simulation. Show the test tracks and then show a progression in the in, in the real world um, to get to the point where fact of the matter is the elderly and you know handicapped and children should clearly be last to be anywhere near, let alone inside the vehicle.
1: Now let's apply this to Elon Musk and and, and Tesla. Um... How? How? What? Would, what suggestion would you have for, for 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 Elon?
3: Yeah, So what he's doing uh, is 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 worst of all um, is he uh, he's convinced his customers to be part of a higher good and to and to put them, their families and themselves and the public around them at risk. Their customers pay three thousand dollars or 5000 pay pay m- money in order to get the, uh, the autopilot system and to drive it around and be his guinea pigs and have their family and the people around him be guinea pigs. So he's getting all this information and his customers are paying for it. Uh, what I would suggest is to, to Elon is, is, is stop doing that and do exactly what I suggested. Now, I realize what I'm saying is just words right now, but clear this all can be proven. Uh, all the data is out there and demonstrations can be given uh, on, on a scenario technology, a simulation technology, sorry, that I'm talking about. Um, I just pull back from the hype because here's the thing. When Elaine Herzberg died in, in Arizona with the Uber car, Volvo, uh, that was completely avoidable. And, and look what happened out there. Uh, now, now imagine what happens when it's the first child, the first family or the public realizes that they have to be guinea pigs for in accident scenarios. I mean, some people have said, including one gentleman who used to run the NTSA, who's now one of the autonomous vehicle makers, put out an article saying people need to get used to this. So his point is, and so is Elon's, because I've, I've seen him say this, is that, you know, there's a greater good. So, so this is, a, you know, the necessary evil. The ends justifies the means. If shadow driving on the public roads was the best or only way to do this, I would agree. But it's not. They'll, they're doing exactly the opposite of what they intend. They'll never save the lives they want to save in the end with full autonomous vehicles because they'll never get there. And, the, and they're taking lives along the way needlessly in their effort to fail. Now, are there good parts of it? Yes. The technology for level one that helps you be a better driver, the the, the lane keeping and the aut- automatic emergency braking, all that is fine. Um, but the whole handover thing in level three vehicles and the way they're going about developing these systems is completely fruitless and is harming people for no reason.
1: And, and, and is it safe to say that the that the largest risk comes from the fact that these these are all based off of the, the operation? The system is based off of the public domain
3: yeah it's because they're they're out in the public domain training and testing the vehicles on what to do and and they have to run scenarios hundreds and hundreds if not thousands of times because ai is is not is not smart right so it has to be basically what happens is you show it and test it, it and then you correct it and then you correct it and then you correct it because you're dropping the error rate until you get to a point where the error rate is low and it takes a really long time because you have to figure out what parts of the neural networks to tweak and how to tweak them and then you go around and around and around and around so, it's because of the repetition, because of the va- vast amount of scenarios that you have to run, um, that the time and dollars just make absolutely no sense. And then, again, it gets unsafe. Uh, yeah.
1: So, Michael, would you discourage listeners from getting into a self driving vehicle?
3: Yes, abs- absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I, what, what ha- needs to happen is also these companies need to show their tests. See, the government is partly at fault here, which is unfortunate, including the NTSB and and robert malloy who's in charge of the uh highway safety division basically admitted it so i'll get to that i'll get to that here so what happened is nitsa in 2015 did a study that was sponsored by gm and mercedes who coincidentally have level three cars and they did a study to see if handover could be made safe right that's the transitioning back to the driver when the driver's not necessarily prepared to take it and they had a driver be distracted and then they they monitored their eyes and and their hands you know their hands were off the wheel they, they set off an alarm, and, the, and then they set the stop, They started the stopwatch. As soon as that person grabbed the wheel and faced forward, they stopped it. And they said, look, under two seconds. Okay, that's a problem. You have not looked at the, act, the quality of the action that they took after they t- got the control and, and how much time was needed for them to, to gain proper situational awareness to do that, to, to measure that. And in that report, they say they purposely chose not to look at that. So that is just to me, that is just reckless, if not negligent. So the NTSB stuck with what NHTSA does. And Robert Malloy, who was speaking in D.C. at, a, at an expo a couple of months ago, I, I, I pushed him on this. I pushed him on both points. Um, is, it, is it or is it not true that there's a period of time that you cannot give people enough situational awareness no matter what you do? And he agreed. And I said, would you agree it's probably around 10 seconds? And he said, yes. And then I asked him, Should or, shouldn't we be using mostly simulation in order to design and test these vehicles? And he said yes. So th- that's where we are. So we're, but we're stuck in this massive echo chamber, and it's difficult to break those.
1: And does a company like Google benefit from uh, unleashing a fleet of uh, self-autonomous driving cars in every city in America uh, rather than um, having Americans drive their own vehicles?
3: Yeah, so everybody's benefiting right now from the hype, right? It's no different than this thing with with, with, with these scooters. I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's there's cultures in the world where it's fantastic because the culture adapted to it and, and, and the environment built to it. But, you know, it, it's here's what's happening is IT, which is where these folks generally come from, has been doing something called Agile uh, for the past know, 15 years or so. Agile is an approach where you do design and engineering and, and make a product from the bottom up. You do a little bit, test it, make sure it's good, add on to it. That's fine for an app. It's not fine for a massively complex system because what they do is they basically ignore or hardly do any top-down system design. So, and that's a problem. So again, they go from the ground up and they build a little at a time. So that led them to this. And again, these people don't come from a place. They come from literally making Twitter another place, right? I mean, it's not like they're not intelligent. They're clearly intelligent. They're clearly hardworking. They're just out of their element and they're using AI to bail them out as a crutch. And that's not very good because AI has problems. Even MIT has said that we don't exactly know how this stuff works, number one. Number two, AI is prone to freaking out, right? There there was a a, a very uh, clear study done with stop signs. They put black tape on a stop sign, little tiny pieces of black tape, nowhere's near covering the sign or all the letters. And because of the way the system segments that sign to to try to recognize what it is, it didn't know what to do because it couldn't recognize it as a stop sign. So what happens is the system is fooled into thinking that something is something that it's not. It's it's no different than if you search Google for a cat picture and you get a trash can, right, or something, (laughs) or a turtle. That's fine when you're looking for photos, but it's not fine when you're looking for object recognition.
1: Yeah, and and, and do you think that the... Um, I, I, the, I It's hard to generalize and say the government, but let's say the Department of Transportation or whoever uh, would be you know directly linked to this, would, would it would certainly behoove them to uh, to, to promote this uh, more.'t that, would that be an accurate statement in your opinion?
3: Uh, yeah, so what ha- yes. Well an example of this is the, the uh, GAO admonished the Department of Transportation about two months ago and said that you people need to be writing some tests for this. And the DOT came back and said, no, the technology's not sorted out yet, so we, we, we shouldn't write the test. Well, that's nonsense. Um, you don't have to settle the technology issues to write a driver's test for the autonomous vehicle. The vast majority of that test, um, it's independent of the technology that's used. And so, But we're stuck, right? We're stuck in this loop of, you know, government doesn't want to put too much pressure on the industry because they want the industry to have the freedom to do the right thing. So here's the thing. And I, and I understand this is going to come across as normally a, a liberal point of view. But go back and look in history. Give me an example of where any industry actually did the right thing without being told exactly the limits by government. Right. I mean, look at the. air You know, they went through tragedies and now we got the FAA, who has extremely uh, rigorous processes and testing. And our air travel is at a 6.4 sigma safety level. Last year, no one died in, 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 in an aircraft mm-hmm. in, in, in the United States. And 6.4 sigma is 99.99996, I believe. So, uh, so, so in cybersecurity, cybersecurity is a nightmare because the government puts out a framework or guidelines. Well, that that backfires. When you put out a framework or guidelines, what will happen is industry will spend the least amount of money possible, do the least amount of money, at uh, least amount possible, and now you've just provided them with the legal air cover to do so.
1: Michael, let's shift gears and, and go into Equifax. What 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 what, what are you informing uh, folks to to understand about what's going on with Equifax?
3: Yeah, so Equifax was bound to happen, and and it's, and it happened to them because. One of the key areas of cybersecurity is something called privileged account management. And privileged account management is where, even on your home PC, people have dealt with this. You go into your PC and it has permissions, local control or administrative control. And it's basically what what can the user do, right? Can you read? Can you write? Can you get to this? Can you get to that? And what you want to do is you want to have it so that you, somebody doesn't have the keys to the entire kingdom, right? So in small companies, I get it. It's a problem. But in larger co- companies, you can break that up. You also have areas where you, you, you put up um, a barrier between the users and the systems they are getting into and you put something called a jump server. So let's say I, I want to log in. I log into this middle server. It checks to make sure who I am and that my permissions are correct and I should be able to do what I'm trying to do. And then if it okays that, it goes ahead and creates a tunnel for me to get to that ultimate machine that I want to get to. So it creates a barrier. And you have to go through two-factor authentication and and all these things. Mm. Well, companies don't do this stuff because uh, it's a hassle and the culture gets aggravated and they don't have the courage to deal with that. Um, I I, I work somewhere where we found over 2,000 passwords in a non-protected area. And I said, well, you know, you people got to change these passwords. And they said, oh, no. I mean, those have been in software for 10 years and we're not going to go touching them because they're scared of touching them what that means is first of all they're hard coding passwords and software which is absolutely ridiculous and they've been there for 10 years and have no interest in changing them so um yeah so there's some basics that we don't do and uh, it's like the it's like a giant dirty secret in the industry and it includes some some government organization
1: What, what what's your opinion about the um the NSA and what, what, what listeners should know about, uh, uh, the interaction they have with Facebook.
3: Yeah. So, uh, you know, so again, it kind of goes back to my issue with parties is I try to be issue by issue, right? Because I I just think that's the most responsible way to look at things. And so uh, everything, you know, a lot of things that are good have negative unintended consequences and things can get out of control. Uh, so for example, Mr. Snowden, I'm on the fence with him. Um, I understand he, why he did what he did, but I got to tell you, I mean, I took data from Lockheed. It wasn't classified. But if I had taken classified data, I guarantee you I wouldn't have gone to Russia or China. So, um, I, I'm sorry, I, I would have just dealt with it. Okay, and,
1: yeah, no, uh, I, I like it. Uh,
3: but no, but the, I mean, yeah, most, of the, well, most government organizations uh, do things that we need to have done. Um, you know, one side doesn't like the fact that we have so much government, yet they beef up the military. And the other side, um, you know, sometimes goes a little bit too far. And and, you know, we have programs like uh, what is the nutritional value of ketchup? So, uh, you know, both to me, there's there's issues, there's problems on, on on both extremes. I would not eliminate the NSA. And, and the fact of the matter is this. I mean, James Comey's right in this recently. Um, uh, if you can't unlock a phone, there's data there that could save somebody's life. Right. So that's that's true. It's not because these people are nece- are, are being lazy necessarily. If there is a time element. There's a time element. And if you had data, you could you could do something with it. So it's not really easy to you know. And the thing is, people who say, well, you know, uh, we we need more privacy. Okay, that's fine until it's your child that that somebody has. And, and, you know, and and they only have a couple hours to live. So uh, I I think the issues are complex. And, um, you know, we have to find some middle ground.
1: What's the in your opinion, Michael, what is the greatest threat to Americans today?
3: So this is going to be a political statement. But um, right now, and uh, honest to God, if he switched parties, I would say the exact same thing. But I, I think it's the current administration, um, because, uh, you know, I, I think that um, they're, they're, they're compromised by, by Russia, was extremely unfortunate. I, I think it's probably taken a while. It started off with them uh, owning Mr. Trump's debt. Uh, and, I, and, and again, it comes back to this thing of two parties. The parties protect each other. You know, you protect your own. Same thing as yep. unions or any other group, right? You protect your own, independent of the infor- of, in, uh, of the of the information. Meaning, nobody can self police, right? There's very little self policing going on, and right now, I, I you know, uh, I just think it's out of hand because uh, of the Russians being involved. And again, if the parties were switched, I would say the exact same thing.
1: And what would you say would be the greatest things Americans could do for themselves to help make a change?
3: Uh, I think actually is to to, to look at each situation. And check yourself on, on 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 if your opinion is guided by either side totally. And, and and here's a good test for that. If if let's say for example the people who have a problem with with President Trump or Hillary Clinton, right, as an example, um, if you would switch your opinion because they were on the opposite party, then to me you have a problem. <laughs> yeah. Right. Amen. So that's that's the test. The test is is you should be outraged regardless of their affiliation. Amen,
1: Michael. Excellent. Tell us a little bit about what Dacty is. What's Dacty?
3: Da- uh, Dactyl? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's a company I created uh, because I couldn't get others to do the, the right thing um, so that we could um, – uh, it's scenarios and simulation as a service. So I want to provide an end-state scenario matrix uh, that has that's not building from the bottom up ent- entirely but creates – all the tests that are required to, 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 to test autonomous vehicles so that the people certifying eventually the government and insurance companies have something. And I wanna improve the simulation environments and simulator environments so that they can actually run the tests and run them with confidence because right now the systems are using or giving them false confidence. Um, I, I will say I realize there's a conflict of interest there because I'm saying there's all these things wrong and miraculously I have the thing to fix it. I'm aware of that conflict of interest and believe me, I struggled with it for a while Um, But, again, I tried really hard for a year to get others to do this, and and I was glad to help them for nothing. And so out of, I guess, some desperation, I I, I created this company.
1: You have some incredible experience and and obviously some incredible insight into uh, the various uh, mechanisms that that run uh, national defense. Uh, How would you define yourself for listeners, Michael?
3: yeah <laughs> yeah it seems like i'm I, I, somehow I'm, I'm, I'm an expert and awfully involved on some pretty big things right now so yeah i get that uh the, the autonomous vehicle thing i saw it and when i saw they were public shadow driving i thought well you know because of my experience in defense and aerospace and simulation in the private sector i saw right away that was a mess and i was involved in cybersecurity security in lockheed martin and in the private sector so it, i just it i stumbled on it and i i j- clearly i have a hard time just overlooking things so uh, I guess what I would say is, is I understand uh, people thinking, well, you know, it seems awfully odd, again, that he, he can know so much or is involved in such large things. Uh, I, if you're going to if you're going to be uh, speculative, I understand that. But but do the homework and find out if I know what I'm talking about, because I print articles and do things and I put a lot of information out and I, and I try to refer to things that can be verified so that I avoid hype. Right. Because. The industries, the a cybersecurity industry as well as the autonomous vehicle industry, they hype. And, I, you know, if I'm going to call attention to that, what I'd like to do is not be a hypocrite, right? Which, again, going back to Comey is my problem with him. If you're going to pontificate about uh, people having high ethical standards, then please feel free to put out all the information, uh, you know, uh, especially during those years that, that you, you know, you kept out of your book.
1: And, Michael, where are you from? Where were you raised?
3: Uh, New Jersey of Philadelphia
1: excellent and, and 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 today you're based in Maryland
3: Pittsburgh I'm in Pittsburgh uh, yeah I'm in Pittsburgh I uh, yeah I got out of service came to Pittsburgh and you know I met my wife and her family's here so I Pittsburgh's home now
1: congratulations for listeners Michael uh, as we wind down the discussion some closing comments some closing thoughts what would you like listeners to take away
3: uh well, I, 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 it's, and, and more important than autonomous vehicles and cybersecurity, I, I, I would like people to not be tools. I, I would like them to to look at the other side and try to look at the other side enough to at least understand that point of view because the vast majority of the time, things are not simply black and white. Now, sometimes they are, but, but in other times, it's, it's to me, it's more important at some level to be an American and a human than it is to be, for example, a Democrat or Republican, or right? Because don't get caught up in an echo chamber, right? The echo chamber of cybersecurity, the echo chambers of, of autonomous vehicles, the echo chamber of, you know, whichever, you know, being, being one, one party or the other. I, 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 I don't think it's helpful.
1: And the best place for listeners to find your publications, would that be through LinkedIn? What sources would you direct them to?
3: Uh, my articles are on Medium and uh, uh, on LinkedIn.
1: Excellent. Ladies and gentlemen, Michael DeCourt. Michael, thank you for joining Winward Radio.
3: Oh, my pleasure. Thank you.
1: Incredible guests, folks. Incredible minds, and this program continues to be blessed with Americans that want to make sure that America stays Great. And, 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 and like you heard Michael say, essentially, keep thinking for yourselves. I will be right back with some closing thoughts. Listen to that and listen to that to get you uh, wound up. That's my that's my goal, folks. Michael DeCourt, and that's D-E-K-O-R-T, com has a short bio of him. You can find him and all my other guests and those that are scheduled to join us, like I said, next week, October 3rd. Carl Denninger joins Winwood Radio in discussions of truth. He's a widely considered as a founding member of the Tea Party. A reoccurring theme. It's almost like a decentralization of the political partied system in the United States overall. Bruce Stanley, as you heard, open up this program, is doing his best to shake things up in his state of Florida. Americans like Michael DeCort. And I, I keep resorting back to Americans, and you may be listening in Mexico, you may be listening in, in China, in Australia, Canada. I'm an American. I love this country. I want to make sure that this country remains open as a beacon of hope, love, charity, liberty, freedom to everyone in the world. Because let's not forget... Like Michael opened up his segment with reference to George Washington. There were folks from England that had a major issue with the way that that country was running itself. And with a predecessor to England, you're again looking at roots of the Roman Empire. Those roots still exist, folks. Whether you're, you you whether you like the Roots or you're not. You don't. That's your opinion. And that's your choice. But if there's corruption and there's wrongdoing, I'm going to stand up for it. And I like what Michael said. He wouldn't run. He would not run. Sir Edward Snowden, if you're out there listening... What are you going to do to not back down and show your face? Hide behind a wall. Soon after the Tea Party began to grow to national prominence, Carl left it. Pardon me. And we'll get... A little more information from him next week. Check out his book, Leverage, How Cheap Money Will Destroy the World. Cheap money. The Federal Reserve, is that cheap money, folks? Is it even money? It's called fiat currency. Does it have any value? What's Carl talking about? Cheap money will destroy the world. Incredible discussion today. I thank you for joining program. October 10th, Susan Lindau will join us. She's a graduate of Smith College in Massachusetts and the London School of Economics. And, and look, my mother's British. I'm half British in that regard. So I'll take as many shots as I feel like at that country. And so should you. Susan is an American author, anti-war activist, and former U.S. congressional staffer. She was charged with acting as an unregistered agent of a foreign government and violating U.S. financial sanctions during the run-up to the 2003 invasion of Iraq. Charges were dropped in 2009. Her book, Extreme Prejudice, the terrifying story of the Patriot Act and the cover-ups of 9-11 and Iraq. I'll be back next week with another edition of Discussions of Truth. You've tuned in to Winwood Radio. I am your host, Ian Troche. Follow me on Twitter. Follow me on Instagram. Please pay for my website, I-N-T-R-O-T-T-I-E-R.com. And fighting for you regardless of where you sit politically. Because, frankly, I don't get into them, and I don't get in religion. And until next week, be awesome.